Welcome to Life's a Beach. I'm Bruce Hopkins, better known as Hoppo from Bondi Rescue. Each week I'll be sharing some stories, the good, the bad and everything in between. I'll be chatting to guests about their life experiences and giving our listeners an insight to the challenges we have faced in our lives. We'll share a few jokes and some banter along the way and hopefully our experiences will resonate with you. As the saying goes, while life's a beach, it can also be a bitch. Hey everyone, this week on Life's a Beach, I have in the beach shack New South Wales Swifts netball player, Ali Smith. Now Ali speaks about growing up in Melbourne, her pathway with netball, and then playing for the Melbourne Vixens when they won the Premiership. Also, the big decision to move to Sydney and then play for the New South Wales Swifts. Since coming to Sydney, she's also now been introduced to Wattability and she is working with the kids there and enjoying every single moment of it. So now let's sit back and have a listen to my chat with Ali. This week in the Beach Shack, it's a pleasure. I've got Ali Smith, who is currently playing for the New South Wales Swifts, which uh, the overseas listeners, this is uh, a part of the netball series. So welcome, Ali, to the Beach Shack. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much. Now, it's great having you in because you've got a really good story. And we'll start off with growing up in Melbourne because you are from Melbourne, even though now you're living in Sydney. So what was it like growing up as a kid down there? Yeah, so I was probably I lived about an hour and a half out of Melbourne, so in a it's not very small now, but a country town called Geelong. Um, so it was I was very lucky. I had be- I have beautiful parents and and grew up there, which was awesome. And yeah, I think I got involved in netball when I was six or seven. I played for my brother's team, who used to play down in Leopold, which is where I'm from, and and I got asked to fill in with him and sort of realised that I actually enjoyed this sport and it sort of went from there. So the love of netball, looking back, was probably around when you were six years old. Yeah, I started quite young. My mum was playing as well at the time, so I think from the moment I could nearly walk, I was out there on the netball court watching mum shoot and hanging out and I'm very lucky I have a um, cousin who used to play for Australia, which is really cool. So netball is definitely in the blood and, and I think I had no real choice <laughs> whether I was going to play or not. Mum was definitely going to push me into it. So I was very thankful for that. Were there other sports you, you touched on back in you know, when you were young? Yeah, 100%. Mum and dad were huge sport fans. So I started netball, basketball. They were probably my two sports that I had to choose from in the end. I, I have a bit of height that goes my way, which is good, and, and basketball and netball are quite similar in, in the size of the ball and I guess the way it works. So I did have to get to – I got to about 12 and mum and dad sort of said, all right, mate, you sort of got to choose you up and down the highway seven times a week and, and you can't really keep doing that to your body. I also touched on tennis for about three or four years, dancing, calisthenics. Mum put me swimming, I think a sport, you name it, I've played it, just to get a touch of everything and – yeah, as I said, mum and dad are, are really into the sport and live a la- active lifestyle and want, wanted that for her, for their kids, really. And what was the, was it a tough decision between basketball and netball? What was the reason you went netball? Oh, I think it was a tough decision because I loved basketball as well. I think I was excelling more at netball. I started to get selected in um, 
teams to represent Victoria, which was um, awesome at, at the age of 11. Um, and basketball was still plodding along well, but I didn't quite have the skill set and I guess just the the understanding like I do netball or I did netball. I think I really understood um, the way netball rolled and, and I guess the strategy behind it where basketball, I think I just had that skill set in playing and having fun. So <laughs> so tell us the pathway then, you know, for kids out there listening that might be into playing netball, what's the pathway to get to the elite level? Yeah, I think, well, I know Netball Victoria has an awesome pathway and I'll always give that pathway wraps. So there's what's called the school sport. So I think every state has that. It's where school teachers actually put you up into going and signing up and you do trials. You go down to a netball court that everyone goes to and, and you split into different regions and you, vert, like you, I guess, trial against each other. And once you get selected in that, you keep going up and and seeing when you get selected. So that was called School Sport Victoria or School Sport Australia, which is what I got picked in in the end. So that was under 12s and under 15s. That So I got I was lucky enough to play when I was 11 and 12. So bottom age and then 14 and 15 when I was bottom age again. And then with Netball Victoria Pathway, you then go into Netball Victoria. So that's under 17s and 19s. Again, I was lucky enough to get selected in the bottom age for 17s and top age and same with 19s. So I moved through that pathway and and again, I was lucky enough or privileged enough to get selected trips in Australia as well all four years. So that's pretty cool. So I played that and, and you sort of roll along and it's now called ANC, but when I played it, it was called ANL. It's the step down from SSN, so which is the where I play now, the competition that I'm playing in now. So you go play that and you play against some very, very talented people or with some very very talented people and yeah then there's different kinds of competitions within that so that I played for the Geelong Cougars which is a VNL side and and yeah I definitely recommend playing VNL or if you're in another state it's called state league usually so that's my pathway and and every every pathway is different there's always hurdles on the way and and whatnot but yes I'm very lucky to be in the position I am today. And then you did go on and get selected at Melbourne Vixens. What was that like? Was, was that like a, a goal that you all, always had to play for the Melbourne Vixens? Yeah, my nanny, it's so funny when I when we talk about netball with my nanny, she says most kids when they were going through kindergarten or primary school, they wanted to be a doctor or a vet or anything. And, and apparently I used to tell everyone that I was going to play netball for Australia. So I think from a very young age I've had that goal in mind and and I'm quite a strong-minded person, and when I do put a goal in front of me, it's stepping stones, but it's definitely netball from, obviously, from a young age, as Nanny tells everyone, um, netball has been in the back of my head or the front of my mind, pretty much. And what was it like, the first game playing? You, you finally made it. Was it, the excitement was uh, unbelievable? Yeah, so to touch on Vixens, it's, I was um, a training partner for two years, and and got with COVID and that sort of hit the netball environment pretty hard and we all had to go into a hub and I was lucky enough to go away um, as a extra. So there was two extras that got taken away into the hub and myself and another teammate got to go up in the hub and really experience what it was like to be a contracted player because at the time I was only a training partner. And yeah, it was 2020. That's when Vixens actually won the grand final and and I got to step foot on the court in the grand final. And throughout the season, I, I played a role on and off the court. And my first game, I think it was against Fever. And 
I just couldn't honestly I can't wipe the smile off my face most of the time but that was definitely a permanent smile and and you're sort of in your bubble when you play uh, you have the crowd and you have the noises and the music and and you really just focus on that bubble that you're involved in so the girls who you're around and you're listening to your coach and everything like that and then sort of once the, the final whistle goes you go oh my gosh like I've just stepped foot in the best league probably in the world at the moment and and I I got to play so it was unreal and something that I've dreamt of for a long time that's for sure and yeah would you say that the uh as you said then the, the netball in Australia is that as good as anywhere in the world yeah so the Suncourt Super Netball um the league that we play in at the moment is is definitely the best league that you got people are coming in from internationally to play in our league because it's such a strong league to play in when you started with the Melbourne Vixens, obviously you've got your idols. What was it like then, you know, you're looking up to all these great players and then suddenly, hang on, I'm a part of this and I'm playing with them. Yeah, it's honestly surreal. I, I have to sort of tap myself on the shoulder sometimes and, and remember that, you know, five or six years ago I was sitting on my couch or in the stands watching these girls and and I'm sure you know Sharam Atman and she's one of the best players that there's ever been and, and I rock up to training and she's my coach. And you just like, and you know, you get to learn from these people and and then you get off the court and they're your friend. And it's like, how how has this happened? And it's so it's honestly so surreal that yeah, I'm playing with, with my idols and I have to remind myself that that well, I guess they're my best mates now, but you know, five years ago I was I was dreaming to be just like them and and play netball with them. So yeah, it's pretty cool. And then a decision came, a bit of a crossroads. You decided to swap teams and move to Sydney and play with the New South Wales Swifts. Now, how did that come about? Yeah, so 2021, 2020 and 2021, I played with the Vixens and 2021 was a bit of a not a great year. We Vixens went from winning the championship in 2020 to getting the wooden spoon in 2021. So not what happened. We had two injuries at the time, um, two being... Uh, no, we had one injury, the Australian starting seven wing attack, which definitely hits you. And and then we just went down sort of not great. <laughs> then at the end of 2021, I, I sort of got, I had a meeting. We have a review every year. And I sort of got sat down with the coaches and got told that I will no longer be getting a contract or not part of the contracted 10 which, yeah, it was a bit of a kick in the guts and no one ever wants to hear something like that, especially after the season that, that we did have in 2021. I felt as though it definitely wasn't how I wanted to, you know, get told and how to leave, but it is what it is at the time and I'm a huge believer in everything happens for a reason. And, and yeah, so I sort of went back to the drawing board and, and got off the phone to my manager and he said, it's going to be all right, everything will be fine, you know, leave it up to me, just try to do other things, not think about it. But obviously when netball is such a big part of your life and you've been, yeah, you've been, well, netball's been a part of my life since I was pretty much 11. So getting told not to worry too much about it was <laughs> probably not the best thing to hear as well. Um, so, yeah, he, he went and did the work and called up a few clubs and, and Swiss were were looking for wing defence. And, and funny in fact, I, I play wing defence. So he got me on a meeting and, had a meeting. There's obviously he was talking to a few other clubs as well, but Swiss is the culture just really suits the person who I am. 
which is awesome. So I sort of got off the phone call to them and I was set. I was like, yeah, I, I really hope they're giving me this contract. Like the coaches seem unreal. And I got a call from the Vixens coach asking, you know, if, if I did want a contract there. And and then that just put a huge spanner in the works. And, and then I had to make this massive decision whether to um, – so then Swiss ended up, yeah, offering me the contract as well. And, and I had to make this huge decision at the time I was – I was 20, just turned 21 and still living at home with my mum and dad and I have a huge family back home that are really supportive and and I guess the thought of leaving that support network behind was daunting, was was horrid, like horrible thought. But then on the flip side of that, there's just an opportunity that is sort of there and I, I don't know what it is and something is so inviting about the Swiss culture and I just didn't know what it was and and yeah, I just made... I made the decision I sat down with mum and dad and and sort of said look I've got I've got this on the table and I think I'm gonna I think I'm gonna move to Sydney next year and I think both my parents just burst out in tears and and obviously happy for me and and that I made that decision on my own and and ready to take that next step but yeah moving out of home obviously I'm, I'm the youngest so mum and dad were a bit sad to see their baby girl go but I yeah, don't regret a thing and I'm so happy. So it was definitely a decision well made. So then you did make your move to Sydney and how was that? Did you find, as I'm born and bred from around the eastern suburbs of Bondi, obviously I think Sydney's better than Melbourne, so they'll upset a few <laughs> of the Melbourne fans. <laughs> that will, that will. But how did you find Sydney? Yeah, so I think I just slid in here and, and didn't realise how welcoming and, well, I did realise, but how just easy this could have been and it also could have been very hard as well I think um, I've moved into a share house with three other teammates so I live with Sarah Kalau, Maddie Turner and Maddie Proud who uh, Maddie Proud is the captain, Turner is the vice captain and and Sarah's is is the other and she's about to head off to the UK and play for Australia so I slipped into a pretty cool house I think I've automatically moved states and just gained nine best friends and that's what sport does sport is all about the friendships that you make and yes you love the sport but it's the people that come with the sport and and the environment the, that you're in and that is what makes you know sports so fun and team sports so worth it but I think Sydney is unreal again love the eastern suburbs I'm in Bondi all the time and yeah it's just unreal the weather could have turned it on a bit more I feel like since I've been here I've brought the Melbourne weather with me <laughs> but no I love it love it yeah, the weather hasn't been great. We didn't have a great summer last year. Hopefully this summer coming is a lot better. But now what I didn't realise is that there's only 10 contracted players. So that, geez, it must be pretty cutthroat then. Yeah, so 10 contra- contracted players and eight teams. So that's 80 spots. And we netball is probably the biggest junior program that there is out of all sports. So our our way down up, so it's like a bit of a bottleneck. You, you start with all these girls, all these young girls and everyone's playing sport and, and it's so cutthroat at the top and, and that's what it is. And I think that's why I love sport so much is because it is so cutthroat and there's so many highs and lows. But someone once told me is you don't really know the good unless you've had the bad. And I think that's what sport's all about. And, and to be honest, that's what life's all about is you don't realise how good it is unless you've done the hard stuff and, and you have you know, overcome those hurdles that everyone's going to go through, whether you're playing an elite sport or you're working a nine-to-five job. Everyone's going to go through them. And and yet that's what makes, I guess, where I am right now so rewarding. Now with netball, what's the training like? Is it a lot of physical work or a lot of 
coordination? What's the, the main part of the training? Yeah, the main, well, on court is like a huge part of it, but also our strength and conditioning plays a huge role because obviously you've watched netball and, and it's not a non it is a non-contact sport. But if you watch it, we get thrown around and we have to be strong from the bottom up. And and so we hit the gym three times a week. We're running on the court in conditioning at least twice a week. And, and then we have three court sessions in a game. So we're usually training anywhere from 6 o'clock. We usually get there at 6 o'clock in the morning in season and pre-season. And, and we're training right through till 1 o'clock or 2 o'clock. So double sessions a day which is really cool. And, and we have different sort of coaches as well. So we have the head coach and then we have the assistant coach, but we also have specialist coaches, which specialist areas. So if you're an attacker, if you're a defender, if you're, I mean, trick question, because we're all attackers and defenders, but if you're um, shooting goals in the midcourt or if you're in defense, different coaches come in and, and specialize that. And then we also have what's called PA, which is performance analysis. So in season, we sit down and get our books out and we have a analysis a person who analyzes the game and tells us the stats and and where we're sitting and why we didn't win or why we did win or what percentage shots we got how many intercepts we got and we have to sit down and we watch it and we analyze and we give feedback to to watch ourselves and and again I'm a big believer in you like if you don't watch yourself and you just turn it off or you don't watch yourself the next day you can't get better because you don't know where you went wrong which is really cool so we do that twice a week as well so we do after so we'll review and then we're previewing the next game and and putting in strategies and how we're going to tackle the next opponent and obviously you'd be watching and looking at the opponents as well yeah for sure so I think that's our own homework when we when we get home so we sit we all sit at the couch and turn the tv on and and give each other feedback or this player does this or this player does that and or you'll be really good at this or yeah you analyze your player and who you're coming up against because you sort of have to know What's going to, I mean, no one knows what's going to come out in the court, but the more organised and prepared you are, hopefully the better you play and prepped you are. Well, it must be easier living with four of you together in one house, all doing the same sport and playing together in the same team. So you can all sit and bounce off each other quite easy. Yeah, well, we all play um, down the back end of the court as well. So it goes from Sarah in goalkeeper, Maddie Turner, as one of them have just got home, Maddie Turner in goal defence, myself in wing defence and Maddie Proud in centre. So it's pretty cool that we all feed down the back end of the court. So <laughs> yeah, sit back and, and relax and watch, turn, the, turn the netball on. <laughs> so the netball season's uh, finished now, hasn't it? So you'd be going into the, the pre-season. When's that start up? Yeah, so we've got, we have about six, seven weeks off now and we have downtime so I'll go home for a little bit and gonna head to Europe this year actually so that'll be fun but yeah so we get about six or seven weeks off and then we're back into it again back into the fun stuff or the running and (laughs) 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 pre-season well with netball it's obviously a a a full-time sort of gig but you still need to have a, a job outside of netball yeah, some, some people do and some people, I think a lot of us want to be busy. I know myself moving states, I don't think I'd, I'd love to sit home <laughs> after training. So I'm lucky enough to work for WhatAbility, which is a community access social work with kids with disabilities. So yeah, I take these beautiful kids out into the community and really break down that bias that, that we've got hanging around, which sucks, but the more we get these kids out and and it let them experience what as neurotypical or what able-bodied people do, 
um, the more we break that down and and get the general public involved and understand the way of their life. Well, I did get to see firsthand on how you deal with this. You brought down, we did a photo shoot for a, a charity night and you brought down Riley, which is a, a great girl. And I saw firsthand on, on the amazing job you do with these kids. Yeah, so Riley is a 19-year-old girl who's got Down syndrome and she, was, she fancied you quite a bit off her actually. She wouldn't, <laughs> she wouldn't stop talking about you on the way home, no. So she's beautiful. She loves the camera. So we thought who better to bring than someone who loves the camera and she came down, did that and, and it was pretty cool and I think some people say that you just have it and I think, yeah, I, I must just have something. I'm not sure what it is but these kids just have my heart wrapped around so many times and and whatever they ask for, I do. <laughs> and they make me as happy as hopefully I make them. And and some some of their parents, you know, have other 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 kids, and and it's just too hard to take all the kids out. Which not everyone understands that, but we do, and we're here to help. And and these kids love being in like love being in the community. Love, you know, going to Luna Park, going down to the beach, going. Things that, you know, and then that allows their parents to have a bit more time with the other kids or allows their parents to get their hair done or their nails done. And and it's just so nice to see the glow, not only on the kids' face when we're taking them out, but back on the parents' face when, you know, we get home to their house and, and you just see how, you know, they're just refreshed and nice and ready to be the best parents that they can be with their kids. It was an amazing experience for me as well because we were down there and Riley was there. We put her on the ocean ski in the pool <laughs> and, uh, yeah, she loved the camera and uh, she basically was pushing me. I, I ended up behind the ski, the ski and her. She was front and centre. She was uh, said, you okay with this? She's, I've got this. So, you know, she was uh, she was well and truly in her element. Step aside, Hoppo, step aside. <laughs> <laughs> and the other thing I saw too was then she went into the water after we'd finished and, she was floating around and you could see the smile on her face just being in that environment. It's just so enjoyable to watch. Yeah, it's just amazing. And and as I said, the happiness that it gives me as well and the joy that it brings me, I just, like, happiness comes first is what, what ability is all about. And I think this is just, that is an image that you've you've been able to see and it is happy. It doesn't matter about anything or whatever's going on in the world is because when you're in that moment with these kids and you see those smiles and, and what you're bringing those kids, it's just, it's honestly unmatched. Like all this happiness that sport brings, this job brings just as much. And we're not really doing anything hard. We're doing what able bodies and neurotypical people do every day, going to the beach, going for a walk, going to get a coffee. But what we don't realize is these kids don't get to do that every day because something comes up or or they can't just get in the car and go down to the shops and get a coffee like we can or you know they can't just walk down to the beach and go for a swim and come home and and we they need support and that's what we're here for and and athletes are a prime example of breaking down that bias that has been built up and the barriers between disability because it doesn't matter what disability you have you're still a human being and you still deserve to go out and have fun and and be out there having fun with a smile on your face because sometimes we forget to do that. Anyone forgets to do that, you know. Sometimes we wake up and and you're stressed or you're going to have a big day, but 
it's not hard to chuck a smile on your face and realize how grateful and how lucky we are to to be living in this beautiful world yeah 100 percent. we all take a lot of things for granted and, and the small things we complain about but once you see and deal with uh what these kids are dealing with it's uh we haven't got a problem in the world and the other thing, did you realise you had this skill when you started with what ability? Did you think that oh, I'll be able to handle this or not handle it? No, I had absolutely no idea. So back home I worked as in administration. I, I helped with the administration side of a, a family-owned business and I'm a people person and I love a chat and, you know, I love to look on, on the bright side of life and I knew I had that fun, quirky side of me but I um, originally came up here and, and was like, all right, I'll get back into admin. And not, and being an athlete, it's quite hard for people to work around your hours. And I could, just couldn't get a job where they were happy for, to be flexible and, and me work my own hours, which it is a lot to ask. Um, and then Paige Hadley, um, our co-captain, sort of said, oh, because I, I was looking at Mabel and a few other girls, Mabel's just a, you work for yourself with, you help people with disabilities and you work for yourself and She's like, oh, I know Steve Dresler, who's the boss of um, Wordability, or do you want to go in for a meeting? It's about, you know, disability and social work. And I was like, oh, could give it a crack. Like I studied nursing um, when I was back home. So I do have that support side, but I just, yeah, I didn't know I would have this, I guess, connection with these kids and and the love for it. That's more of what I'm more, all the time I'm like, yep, I've got a day off, I'll work, like, chuck me in there and and it's I love it so but no definitely had no idea um that this would become my passion and such a big passion as well and and it works so great that Steve is ex like footy player so he understands how busy we can get as athletes and and understands the workload that we have but also understands the power that athletes have and and we're here to you know help these kids have a better life and and hopefully break down yeah, the stigma. Well, what I've seen, you've definitely got a connection when you brought Riley down. And there was another young kid there which had nothing to do with what we were doing. And he was just doing these circles. And, I mean, I, I didn't understand what he was doing. But when he came out of the pool, you explain in a minute what he was doing. But he connected with you straight away. You could see that. And then he continued his pattern. Yeah, yeah. So... I'm a very um, hands-on type of person, so I saw this beautiful autistic boy. He was in a loop or in a routine is what kids with autism get, I guess, stuck in sometimes, but his loop was beautiful. He'd go jump in and and we were laughing at him because his bombs were going everywhere. He was belly whacking. He was so funny. So he'd jump into the water and and walk out up the stairs and and I just grabbed his hand and and just made him feel it's okay, we're here, and and supporting him and, and that's what we're here for. Again, not that he was my participant, but, you know, just to show that these two people, because we were talking, that we're here and, and we're here and we're watching him and he's safe. And so then he got, that was part of his routine. Now he wanted to come up and, and touch my hand or touch my face and, and then walk back and bomb back in the pool. And, and yeah, I guess because I am so hands-on, that's just the connection that I build through through the participants or through the kids or whoever I'm looking after is is I love I love love and I love to touch like as in like ha- touch their hand and just to make sure they know that they're safe and and yeah he had a great smile on his face and he loved it so we were laughing at him it was so good yeah he was loving every minute of it and uh, yeah. it was great to see that you know these 
this boy could have a great time and, and he was just enjoying himself in his own little little world that he was dealing with. But it was something that, uh, you know, it, it was amazing to watch. Oh, thank you. And and that's great. And and hopefully that inspired you to, to go and if you see, you know, if it's an autistic boy or girl and and obviously they call it the non-visible disability because if you look at someone potentially with autism you wouldn't be able to tell because it's not a visible disability but and that's what comes with the trouble of autism sometimes with you know sometimes they become dysregulated and and thrashing on the ground or upset and crying or whatever comes with that dysregulation but because it's not a visible disability people don't understand and that's why you've just got to treat everyone the same and and understand that everyone's different and you've just it's not hard again to put a smile on your face and think I'm not sure what's going on inside those people's lives but I'm going to offer the support and see if they're okay and and get on with my day because that's got nothing to do you know with us and and it's awesome and 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 you said that you know it was awesome to watch and that's so good and I'm sure if you saw someone stuck in a loop now that you know what their routine is I'm, I'm sure you'd go up and and yeah, even talk to their social social worker or their support worker, which is pretty cool. Yeah, I think it's great to understand because I can see a lot of people would get intimidated by that that don't understand and and possibly step back and walk away or or even stand back and just sort of stare and, and it, that might just upset the the young boy as well. So it, it's a, yeah. a fine line, and and I think it's more as you said earlier, breaking that stigma. That everybody is the same. We've got all all got our own different, you know, weird things quirks. we do uh, and quirks. So, you know, this is something I think that uh, it's very. It was very educational for me that day yeah. being there. Yeah, and that's what we're all about. It's you're not gonna ever like not everyone's perfect, and we understand that. And and disability, the more it's in the community the more people understand, no one's going to understand if they don't see autism in the community or if they don't see Down syndrome. And like, if it's not there, you're not going to learn and, and you don't see it and you can't blame anyone for not understanding because it, it, it can be tricky and don't get me wrong, it, it, it can be difficult and such a hard job at times when their kids are upset and now oh, a person who someone else is upset, I just want to make them better and I just want to help. But you just got to be there, know that like, give them the support that they need and if that's stepping back then that's stepping back and and as a general public it's so beautiful when someone just taps me on the shoulder and says are you okay and do you need any help and and my response is usually no it's okay he just needs time or she just needs time but that tap on the shoulder just is beautiful and it, it is really heartwarming for me to know that I also have support I'm trying to support these kids but I've also got support by the general public so that's definitely something that is an easy gesture but it goes a long way. Now, with what ability, you said earlier they get a lot of the athletes. Do they get them from various sports? Yeah, so Steve is is rugby, so NRL. Um, so we've got a few NRL boys and, and union boys. And then Maddie Proud, so who's my housemate, she's also comes down and hangs out because she saw the smile that I come home from work with every day and, and she said, I just want to be a part of that. I, I want to do that too. So we've got netball and it's now moved into Queensland and Perth. So hopefully these connections that we can help more netball is more involved, which is great for our sport as well. We've got cricket, got race car driver. Yeah. So we've got various different codes, which is really awesome to get this, this business just thriving off different 
types of athletes and and again once you see it you want to be a part of it once you're out there and, and you want to be a part of it do some of them come to the netball and watch you play the kids yeah yeah so i Maddie is center, so she grabs the, the ball and we have a ball girl that brings a ball out and beautiful Bianca came and, and she's got cerebral palsy and she, she brought the ball out to Mads and, and the smile on her face was just unbelievable and the photos and, and the inclusiveness that Netball had was just unreal. Like the Swifts are a very inclusive culture but we were playing against Beaver and even Fever were just just loved it and I got Mads and I got so many messages saying how do you get involved how do you sign up I want to be a part of this because that smile that that little girl had I want to see that more often and do you think that will that helps the Swifts culture as well when you're doing things like this yeah 100% and and Swifts as a whole we all love to give and we all love I guess to be inclusive no matter if it's disability if it's sexuality just inclusiveness full stop that's what Swifts is all about and and this is great to show the general public and show our members and show our fans, look, this is what we're about. It's a massive attraction. Who who wouldn't want to be a part of a side that that has kids with disabilities coming out, dropping the balls off and, and making their whole week? I'm sure Bianca did not stop talking about it. And and the next time I see her, I think I'm seeing her today when we go to camp and and she always says, when, when are we going back to the netball? I'm like, soon, next year, we, we don't quite make finals, but, <laughs> but soon. So she loved it, loved it. Now, with netball, obviously the season's finished. It's a, a new season coming up uh, for next year. Is the goal still there and the passion to make the Australian team? Yeah, I think that's – obviously I'm quite young still, but the, I don't think that stopped anything. I think playing for Australia – has been the goal all along and and I guess just little bits at a time and and getting used to getting court time this year has been a lot more court time than I've ever ever sort of gotten and, and I'm lucky enough to I got just re-signed for another year the Swift so that's great and and just little steps obviously the end goal is yes 100% to play for Australia but you know you've got that one goal and then you've got the stepping stones that are in front of that and and I think yeah 100% I think just having, but having a balance and having a life outside of netball as well, I know personally is something that really helps me. And, and I know that I play the best netball when I'm not constantly thinking about netball and, and it doesn't absorb me and the energy isn't just waste, wasted pretty much. Just thinking about netball when I don't need to be thinking about netball. And, and that's where watability is such a great thing to do and, and working with these kids. So that's the balance for sure that I know that I need in order to play the best netball I can. Yeah, you definitely need that balance. And I think what, what you're doing with what ability is incredible. And it's something that, uh, you know, putting smiles on these kids' faces, that's the thing that I think is just an absolute magic. Yes, I agree. Happiness comes first. And, and yeah, just the, as soon as, like, if you're having a rough day, sometimes, you know, the kids get a bit dysregulated and pinch you or bite you. Or I'm like, as soon as they smile again, I'm like, it's okay. You can do that again. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been great chatting, Ali. I uh, enjoyed every minute of it and uh, we'll have to uh, get the kids down to Bondi and give them an experience at Bondi one day as well. 100%. Let's make it happen, Hoppo. Thank you so much for having me. No worries. Now, at the end of the segment, I do a uh, five fun facts. I'm going to throw some questions at you and put you on the spot and see right, how you perfect. go. Perfect. Let's go. What are you most proud of? 
Um, I'm most proud of, I guess, moving states and, and coming to move states at 21 and up and out of home. So most proud of that. A favourite childhood memory? Uh, my favourite childhood memory is we have a house in Echuca and a speedboat um, that we go every year, how many times a year, and, and Dad takes us out on the boat and my brother and I and all our friends get to, ever since we were little tackers, um, I don't even reckon I could walk and Mum still had me out on the tube. So um, definitely going out on the boat um, in Echuca is my favourite childhood memory. What terrible movie do you love? Probably Crazy Stupid Love. last time you laughed so much you cried oh gosh every day in this house it's literally a madhouse we (laughs) (laughs) something happens i'm gonna say three days ago because just this house is mad (laughs) (laughs) favorite takeaway food thai love it perfect perfect answers (laughs) thank you that's uh Great to uh, have a chat and um, it's great to have you in the beach shack and hopefully uh, the netball career continues extremely well and also what you do with what ability uh, and enjoy everything you do. Thank you so much, Hoppo. I hope um, everything's going well and and you're killing life too, so it's pretty cool to see. (laughs) Now let's go to Beach Banner. For this week in the Beach Shack, we've got Matty Calhoun, better known as the head. He's uh, in the Beach Shack. Now, we do a lot of resuscitations, but this one was a good one. Uh, the, the kid actually survived. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we've we've talked in the past and a um, couple don't turn out that well. Actually, back in the day, a lot of them didn't turn out that well. We didn't have defibs and there was definitely no adrenaline on the beach. I don't know if he's got it now, but we didn't have any defibrillators. I was actually not lifeguarding at the time. I was coaching Bondi Surf Club kids and I was out in the water. We'd finished training and there was a bit of commotion. The surf was big. It was actually quite big, dumpy surf. And we were right out the back, and but it was out the back of sort of like where the water comes down, not the rip area, you know, not the deep area. And there was a bit of commotion and I swam over and a young bloke called Matt Wheatman was on a racing mow. He had got over there quicker because he's on the racing mail. I swam over and they had this young, um, he was Southeast Asian or you know, Asian descent young man and he was his eyes were rolling and, and there was foam coming out of his mouth and he was in a bad way. So I held on to him. Matt sat there with the board. Maxi was on the jet ski and we waved him over and the mat obviously was vacant and I, I had all of the kid. And he pulled it up right next to me. Did a great job because I didn't have to do anything. I just basically rolled my right shoulder, and, ha- and I had the kid in those underarms, sort of like hooped underarm type situation. His arms were hooped on me. I was holding onto the racing board with Mao Matthew Wheatman, and then I whipped him onto the back of the mat. And Maxie fang it to the shore, and I don't know if he was radioing or or whatever he's doing, but I'm holding onto the mat. The, the jet ski went up the sand as it does. Maxi, I think I, I can't remember what I, it wasn't like a, you know, it was let's get this guy up onto the dry sand as quick as possible. Now, I've been criticised for this rescue because they've showed, I know they've showed it in a, um, a few classes where they go, well, they didn't do a very good job of the neck. But 
I was lying on that mat face to face with the kid. Like I was lying on top of him, holding the straps, making sure he didn't come off. I picked him up in deep water. It was very deep water. And so, and I was face to face with the kid and there was no marks on his face and no blood or no. Now I didn't obviously feel the back of his head for any bumps, but the fact that I picked him up in deep water and there was no marks on his face led me to the conclusion that he has had some sort of a fit or heart attack. And from experience, I also know that the majority of drownings happen from a heart attack or some sort of a fit. Very rarely people actually drown. You know, it's because, you know, there's so many at Bondi, there are so many people. Surfers uh, are usually a prime, they're the, usually the first people there. Then there's lifeguards and surf club, and then general public just swimming. There's people everywhere, so it's very hard to drown. But, you know, everyone does, everyone, Bondi Rescue is an absolutely perfect name. It's not just, it's not lifeguard rescue, it's Bondi Rescue. So many people do rescues on that beach. And so this was a combination of the public had the guy, I swam over, Matt came over, and the lifeguards came over. And I, and I was 90% sure he had not had a spinal injury and that he had had a fit and he had taken water in. And anyway, so long story short, I think I grabbed a leg or, or, or Matt and Max, when we dragged him up the beach as quick as we could, and people are really heavy when they're, when they're completely unconscious. And he had a lot of water in him. We start, Maxi jumped on the chest and I, once again I had to do mouth to mouth. Uh, it doesn't bother me, you know, like a, obviously there's a disease issue. Uh, you know, you just have to do these things. Uh, the masks aren't often where you pull up with the jet ski. They're not where you – you don't, you can't do the rescue with the mask. Yeah, the mask turned up fairly quick. I had to do a couple. Maxi was fantastic. He uh, – and I hadn't done a recess for a few years. I hadn't been a lifeguard for about I think five or six years. And you don't do as many when you're not a lifeguard, obviously. Uh, but he was—he got into it, and his pace was really, really good. And you know, I just—I just chimed in, and I—I I, I hadn't done one for a while, and I realised that the breaths weren't as important. But I realised when I had to jump in, and, and then the guys turned up really quick. We got into it, and he even—I don't know if he, he came back round, but I think we got a pulse or something on the beach to indicate he might have had life. But we weren't 100 percent sure that the paramedics turned up. They packaged him up and they took him away. So, yeah. But it's a good point you made, though, is and people watching Bondi Rescue, the experience of guys, and you had the experience of a, as a lifeguard previously, and you've got to make those quick decisions because the quick decisions, uh, and you analyse it quite quick, realising that, yeah, potentially it's not a spinal injury and we need to get the person back as quick as you can. So you've got to act on your feet. Well, airway is the most important thing. There's no point having, like, honest, honest, you know, I know a lot of people will go, oh, I don't want to leave if I've got a spinal injury. And that's, you know, I imagine a lot of people would, is true. But at the time, I had to say, this guy's airway, we have to get air into this guy's body quick as possible. I don't think he's had a spinal because of, of how deep it was. I don't know if you want to go into the rest of that story, but that was good. But, but even the, um, if it is a spinal, as you're saying, that the spinal becomes a secondary thing. It's the airway is the number one. And, and that's uh, just a part of, Trying to keep someone alive. Yeah, absolutely. Like, uh, yeah, yeah. I, look, it's it's a it's a tricky one, and there's people obviously living in wheelchairs, living fulfilling lives. So, you know, you don't want to say, uh, yeah, you, you wouldn't keep you, 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 the next more important than and staying alive. Staying alive is the number one thing, you know, and getting the air, getting the air in. And Maxi pumping away at the chest was he did a great job, Maxi, that day. And so did Matt Wheatman, who, and the and the 
and the swimmers out there who alerted to us and they weren't able to get him in, you know, so they, everyone did a good job. And you did the find out later on he did survive? Yeah, so Jamie, Jamie Wright got us down to review what we did. We touched on the, the spinal thing at the time. As I said, it's been reviewed by, but I've had people chip me about it. And I said, well, you know, you weren't there. You didn't see what happened. But I said, and I told Jamie what happened. He, he agreed with me at the time. And I know there's the TV show element down there and we were sitting around watching it in the in the tunnel there where we keep the light. We used to keep the jet ski, we still do, on the TV or watching it. And James got there. And it was about a two week later or a week later. And of course, they had organised for the young man who had survived and was in perfect health to come up behind us and surprise us. So that was, that was a, you know, you asked me, I think last time I talked about Arisa, do I get emotional? I don't get emotional about, you know, the, I get emotional about people who are living and and the, and the families. That what's made me emotional. This made me more emotional because the kid was there, he's alive, and that's a good thing, you know. So yeah. And the point too with the Bondi rescue as well is, we might do all the procedures with a resuscitation, but because of the timeline, sometimes the editing will cut certain things out, and it looks like it's we haven't done that, but we have done it. It's just a matter of if you sat and did a, a filmed a, a whole resuscitation. You know, it'd be quite boring sitting on the lounge watching the whole thing from start to finish. So they obviously edit in parts to make it uh, a bit quicker. It's only a half an hour show. So, yeah. Yeah. I look, I'd like to make a note here. The most important thing you do, I got into, I got told by a real old boy once, I, I don't know, and he was really smart. He said, the most important thing is you do something. So some people, you know, if you're sitting there and you're doing a role and you're looking at the, you've got to get into it and you've got to start and, and, I've seen paramedics, they, they're, they're hitting away with one hand, they're on the phone to the hospital, but they're doing something, you know. A lot of the times people hum and huff, huff and hide. There's more benefit in doing something than doing nothing. Yeah. And then in hindsight, though, you did the right thing because you've you've analysed it quite quick, realised it's not a spinal, you bring the person straight in, and the end result, the kid makes a full recovery with nothing wrong with him. So that's the outcome you want. Yeah, it's rare. It's absolutely rare because if it's a fit or a heart attack, take a lot of water. You know, the, the, I've had I've had friends die from heart attacks in the water, and I've done resuscitations of a lot of lots of people who have had heart attacks in the water, and they do not live. Uh, yeah, so it's it's a good one, a great one actually. Did they ever find out what it was? Was it an actual fit or? I think it was some sort of an episode. Yes, it was not a heart attack because he wouldn't have got down there in a week or two weeks. It was a he had some sort of an episode. And I think from that maybe episode, he's even learned he's got this condition, and hopefully he's having it treated so it doesn't happen again. You know, but he was he was a big, strong young man, so it was good to see him survive. Well, mate, it's uh, great having you in the beach shack, telling your story. It's very entertaining and uh, good to see you. You got a good result. Yeah, it was, yeah. You don't get many, but when you get them like that, you're happy. Good stuff, mate. Now it's time to have a listen to the fans in the mailbag. This week's letter in the mailbag is from Peter and he is from Melbourne. The question is, I listened to Nikki with your podcast, which you did last year, and was just wondering how her daughter Angelina is going. Well, Peter, there's some good news there. There's... uh, She's having some infusions now. I think she's up to the second or maybe coming up for the third, and it seems to be working quite well. There's been no 
significant bad reactions. So hopefully there's been um, a slight improvement. So hopefully she keeps improving and uh, hopefully makes a full recovery. So we're all hoping for the best for Angelina. But, uh, Peter, thanks for your letter and uh, keep following uh, her on Instagram and you can keep in touch with uh, how she is going. Anyway, all the best to everybody and I'll catch you all next week. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Remember to subscribe to Life's a Beach wherever you get your podcasts and hit us up with questions, comments, or follow us on our social media channels, which you can find in our show notes. That's it for today, beach fans. Stay safe and swim between the flags.